Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts, and today I will be talking about weed and the green man. (laughs) Nice. Um, And I'm going to be talking very specifically about the cannabis plant. Yes, and um, so I think maybe we should like check in a little bit before we dive in. So this episode is coming out on April 16th. So some very cool upcoming spring holidays, if you will. Um, So we've got 420 on April 20th. Woo! um, Which is kind of how this episode came together. Also, I was in California recently, and I do smoke. So like, you know, blame blame it on the California air, right? Um, But also, two days later is Earth Day. I know, yeah. It's like a very green, earthy week. And then you've got Beltane coming up. And May Day, and like all of the great sort of uh, s- mid-spring holidays, because yeah. we've had the beginning of spring. We've had like Imbolc and all of that, and, and th- these are kind of like the the tourist season holidays, you know, like very like spring is here. Spring is here. Yep. My uh, Easter cactus is blooming. Right. I mean, (laughs) but no. So we wanted to talk about weed for this episode because, I mean, it's going to come as no surprise, all of our dear listeners out there, that I am just a huge old stoner. (laughs) And uh, uh, since this episode is airing on the 16th of April, this is like officially our week. For all of the stoners out there. Um, but, you know, kind of before I dive in the info, I thought this would be a good spot for like a classic ones and fronts disclaimer. Um, so like my perspective on weed is that of a daily user of many, many years. And while I do not currently live in a state where it's legal legal, I do happen to live in a city where possession is decriminalized and therefore I don't have to worry about my safety, like having it on me, you know, because like cops are cops and I'm not encouraging anything here. Yeah. We're not encouraging you guys to like break the law. Uh huh. Be careful. You're all adult witches who can make wise decisions for yourself. Yeah. And like, if, if this is not the case for you, I, I can't in good conscience encourage people to break the law. So, uh, I personally, I think it's draconian and unnecessary, but I mean, and mostly racist, but that's mostly racist, but, uh, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to talk about safe use. Yeah. Um, so cannabis containing THC is absolutely psychoactive, mildly psychoactive, uh, psychedelic, uh, and it's like, you shouldn't really take it lightly. Uh, and while it's true that you won't die of an overdose, it can aggravate pre-existing conditions like psychosis or anxiety. Although, ironically, that is my medicinal reason for smoking as much as I do. Um, because I have the opposite effect. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so 
now that my safety-minded Virgo raising is satisfied, we're, we're going to move on to like more more of a fun, more of a fun vibe. I mean, it's the 420 episode. We have to have a little fun, Woo-hoo. but we also have to be <laughs> careful and look out for everyone. Okay, but the the cannabis that we smoke or make edibles and tinctures out of is like the flowering or bud material of the cannabis sativa or indica plants, which Shandon is going to be filling us in on later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. so it's like a lot like the tea varieties, Camellia sinensis sinensis and Camellia sinensis asamica. Indica and sativa really could not be more different. So there's some key differences to note here. Um, and the one that you're most likely interested in is how the hives are going to be different. And that's a big one. So I do want to say, though, realistically, anything you're buying in retail level is going to be some kind of hybrid, most likely. So it's not going to be 100% well, of anything. It will be a hybrid, which we'll talk about. But the land race plant that is the original strain of uh, like wild cannabis you're very unlikely to find it but literally anything you're going to consume is some sort of hybrid now yeah and so uh but an easy way to remember is like the sort of the old stoner saying is like indica into couch right because indica is like the body high and it's kind of like sedative yeah and it's funny because like the indica plants are also like kind of short and stocky, yeah, like they're very like short and stocky, uh huh. And like the sativa ones are like lanky and gangly. Yeah, they're like the tall, lanky, elven-looking plants, and the indicas are like the hobbits of right. the cannabis world. I love, I love that we're kind of like bringing J.R.R. Tolkien into this because I'm talking about J.R.R. Tolkien a little bit later on too. <laughs> um, but okay, so this is the one I, I like. Indica is the one I usually like because my anxiety is very loud sometimes. And it's like I could like jump out of my skin. Um, so instead of like being like sleepy and lethargic, I'm like, I'm just taking down a couple of notches. Yeah. And I, con- it's it's so interesting because it's like indica does that for you, but for me, it's like I prefer sativa because when the indica, when that body high hits, that makes me very anxious. And I know you talk a little bit about like how different it is for everybody, but I feel like that's just one that's like super obvious is like smoking indica or like consuming indica always like makes me so much more anxious. Right, right, right. And it's like, it, it is very different, but like I feel chilled out and like clear headed which is actually, it's a relief to me, right? And I can ride my bike or play tennis and I don't have an adverse reaction at all. And I usually go for the Indica strain every time when I have the option. So, yeah. uh, and like, I mean, and you're, you're good in LA because it's like the West Coast loves an Indica. <laughs> right. Uh, but so Sativa's is supposedly, and, you know, I say supposedly, and I do mean that. Like, this is not me kind of brushing it off. But, like, actually when they test indica versus sativa in scientific settings, um, people really kind of report the same effects uh, when they don't know. So there's certainly at least a little bit of the good old placebo effect Well, I on. think it's also, like... I mean, not to 
conflate it too much, but I also feel like marijuana consumption and like plants are kind of like, you know, the differences between different types of wine, right? It's like, right. if you are a person that has sommelier training, you can like smell and taste the difference between like different grapes and things like that. And I think that weed a lot of times is very similar. And like, if you are an experienced user, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to tell a difference more so than someone that maybe is like, you know, just a little bit more fun once in a while. Again, not that there's any harm in that. I think it just has to do with like how different the experiences are to you as well. Cause you also just don't have that much to compare it to. Right. And so you're like, well, I feel high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so sativa is supposedly the more energetic and playful high. And for many, it's like milder. So you were talking about how you get anxiety when you smoke indica. And it's less intense. Um, so like yeah. indica can take you to like that that level if you let it. I mean, you know. But I also, think- I think for me, it's less about the level, though, and more about the body effects, because my anxiety tends to manifest in things like a really tight chest and breathing. Mm. Like, I have a hard time, like, breathing when my anxiety gets really bad. And so the indica, that, like, body high experience, I think kind of triggers that similar, like, heaviness on my chest feeling that my body associates with anxiety. So what I – my main point here kind of going into all of that was, like, If you're not a ball of anxiety like I am, or trying to use weed as a sleep aid, sativa is probably going to be the one you like once you do get kind of more into it. Um, Because it's like it's a fun, chatty kind of atmosphere or like doing other things while stoned weed. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely you can do a lot of uh you can find a lot more strains that are designed to have very energizing effects and like i have a tincture that is one of my favorite things it's by the root of it all it's called go and it's a sativa strain tincture and the the point of it is to like take it in the morning when you have like a day of like going out hiking or like if you want to go to the beach and go surfing like it it can have a very energizing effect which i i personally also really like it's lots of fun And yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but I I do want to kind of put out there, most of what is produced commercially is very hybrid. You know, like a lot of this shit is very close to like 50-50 Indica Sativa. Um, So it's a lot of shades gray. Well, I mean, it's it's all it is. It's all hybrids. Um, You're not smoking Landrace marijuana. Um, there are a lot of growers that work on producing like heavier strains on one end or the other, but if you're doing things like tinctures and edibles, you're a lot more likely to be able to get more pure concentrates of like a very specific type. It's a very complex world that we are attempting to, to sum up for you guys. (laughs) Right, right. But no, so like, uh, for like more indica heavy strains, like I, I like Kush, hybrids like og kush sour diesel like definitely top of the list and you you can once you kind of get into it like you can recognize those like original strains too and you can be like i know og kush and when i see it i know it and i know what that high is going to be like you know um for sativa dominant uh i like blue dream that's like day at the park weed for me for fucking sure yeah Uh, 
I mean, I feel like Sour Diesel is a pretty... I think Sour Diesel does tend to be more sativa heavy. It is in the Kush family. But I also, I mean, I really like Super Lemon Haze as far as sativas go. Like the hazes tend to be more sativa dominant. And I like those a lot. There's like Super Lemon Haze, Purple Haze. Those are all, I think, really nice strains if you're into the sativa side of things. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do love a good Lemon Haze too. Yeah. Uh, but just like not just about the strain, like you also need to figure out how you intend to consume. And I think that's maybe like a bigger thing that people need to look at versus like strain strengths or weaknesses. It's like, are you going to do edibles? Are you going to smoke? Are you going to do tinctures? Like, are you going to vape it? Are you going to? There's so many things now, like especially since it's like been legal in a few states for a few years now, like, I mean, I remember when I was so excited to be able to get um, non-dehydrated, like, brickweed where <laughs> we lived in Texas. Yeah. I mean, the birth of the $10 G was a big deal for all of us. Right. Uh, like, we grew up paying $20 to $25 for a gram of weed that is not as good. No, no, no. Um, so like smoking is probably going to be the first thing that comes to mind, but like you, you can do edibles, tinctures or infusions and smoking isn't such a simple option either because like some people are going to prefer like glass pipes over like paper rolled joints. Uh, and you might even be one of those obnoxious people who prefers to use a bong every time. And that is certainly a preference <laughs> that some people have. <laughs> um, and, well, okay, but this is an important step, though, and definitely the first thing you should figure out if you're new. It, there is no one-size-fits-all option, and I think if you asked five stoners how they imbibe, you'd probably get five completely different answers. Because there's almost an infinite way that people take it um, and experience it you know it's like right how many cannabinoid receptors you have in your gut versus in your brain versus like you know the way that your body metabolizes it you know it is so personal right you, because i could take an edible right yeah and for some people edibles are too strong and they're like i don't want to be high all day and for some people they're like well i've taken very strong medicinal edibles and it's done nothing. Yeah. And well, and that's fun because like when you're taking edibles, like it's actually metabolized by your liver first and it converts it into something called 11 hydroxy THC, which is different than the THC you get when you smoke. When it goes from your lungs into your bloodstream, you're getting um, Delta nine THC and 11 hydroxy THC is actually a lot more bioavailable, but some people, their liver on like the first pass essentially eliminates almost all of the THC. So those people can eat huge amounts of edibles and never feel it because their livers are just like getting rid of that. So it is, it's like so highly personal. Yeah. And so like personally, I can smoke all day, every day. Uh, but even like, two different kinds of smoking, right? I will have a panic attack taking dab or like one of the very concentrated ones because you get so high so fast too. Yeah. 
I'm like, my brother can take them all day, but I literally cannot. Yeah. Um, it's very different for everyone. So, yeah, n- nothing is one size fits all. But, okay, so but the point of this segment is not, like, solely to introduce people to weed in general. <laughs> yeah. So we were, you know, like, we are a witchcraft podcast. So I felt that, like, Taurus season and 420 and Earth Day, like, all kind of starting next week, this really is the perfect topic. Like, to be covering in this exact episode. Uh, and I think, you know, any I think anyone listening to this is probably enjoying, like, the height of spring right now, wherever yeah. they're at. Unless they live in the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's important to examine the relationship witches specifically have with weed. Because I think if we're being honest about ourselves... Even though we call on ancient traditions and like ancient gods that have existed for a very long time, uh, like the modern Wiccan and neo pagan revival in the 60s and 70s happened when people were smoking more weed than they ever had before. And you know, like. They were also doing psychedelics and street drugs and, but like weed was there, like pervasive, regular people were doing weed and they were also getting into witchcraft at the same time, which is kind of why we are where we are at with what is and kind of is not popular with art specific revival of pagan traditions. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that has a lot to do with weed's power to like open people's minds to alternate possibilities and also encourage creativity. And like a lot of what we have today and a lot of who we are as a community is based on, you know, th- these people who, if they hadn't, gone that way might have never been into like the spiritual community at large um so but uh that officially brings me to the witchy side of things and so maybe you're already a huge stoner and like very good for you but maybe you kind of wonder how you can incorporate it into your craft uh and we have some great news for you we have a few suggestions that we're throwing in at the end here uh, that I think, you know, can kind of help you along in, um, you know, letting the two get together. Um, So there is very strong evidence that cannabis has been used in shamanic rituals in Russia and Mongolia for literally thousands of years. Uh, So we'll start there and kind of pick that apart a bit. Um, as I said before, it is a mild psychedelic, which I think lends itself to meditation and trance states. Uh, because like I had said before, you know, I, I, I have very bad anxiety and also probably ADHD, but I cannot get my brain, like my inner monologue to shut the fuck up. Um, and you know, 
as which is a lot of the things that we're supposed to do involves meditation. And so when I'm like looking at a spell or like looking at, you know, different things that I want to do and they're like, oh, you should meditate for a while on this. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, because I'm like, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to have to meditate or like try to focus on something. But actually, weed helps me with that. So uh, I think it opens up your mind to like noticing things that you wouldn't usually notice as well in an unaltered state, which I think that I think that is in and of itself like a spiritual boost. Um, I mean, Shannon, like you're into the, the fae and shit. Like, you know what I yeah. mean when you're like looking out for signs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I, I love getting high and being in nature. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, same. And it's yeah. like, I, I, I don't know. It's like, that's one of the, uh, I could not recommend it enough. Honestly. Yeah. I think it's funny that in some ways there's been this like movement. Uh, I've, I've heard this a lot in the spiritual community where people are like, you need to come sober, stay sober. You know, it's disrespectful to the gods to like be inebriated. And I'm like, man, have you met any of the ancient gods? Uh, first of all, I don't, I, I'm like, what God is not into libations, but also this like hilarious, like whitewashing of like any sort of like spiritual practice, like taking any sort of like substances, like mind altering substances out of it is like a very weird, like new age woo woo spirituality as like goop sells it sort of racket that I'm not interested in. (laughs) You know, and it's funny, I I think maybe we should talk about this like a little bit later on during our QWP segment because I actually have a lot to say about like uh that as well as what we're talking about and I think the two are related yeah uh, yeah yeah remind me oh my god if you if you remember if I remember <laughs> I'll do my best um but like I I could not meditate without weed so like what I like to do if I do have to meditate about something is play ocean wave noises because white noise can get you there you know yeah. I mean, uh but like taking a big toke and like just trying to quiet your mind and like mm-hmm. that's really only possible for someone like me with a very loud inner monologue with the help of weed right um, i mean it's like i love to take a joint into the bath like a meditative bath uh-huh with weed a plus plus it, it also helps me get there and i don't think there's any like I don't think anybody should feel weird about liking to utilize substances in their craft, but I also use it that way and it works really well for me. Yes. And I, I think there's like more to the, the shamanism thing than just like a meditative state, right? Like the, like we were talking about earlier, there's also the connection to nature. Okay. Because there's literally nothing that is quite so life affirming as enjoying a walk in the woods with a spliff and your own thoughts. And yeah. I think it it makes even like your mundane yard birds and squirrels like get that level of excitement that you're just not gonna have if you weren't smoking weed, you know? Yeah. You no, because it it really is like when you're sober, you don't see those things. It just helps you slow down, I think, which is really important. And also, if you want to talk about being connected to nature, I mean, it's literally a fucking plant. It's a plant. Like, it's not 
like even like alcohol, which only works because of like the way humans make it. I mean, we're not going out and eating like fermented crab apples from trees to drink. No. Like, no, you know, you're drinking stuff that has been distilled. You don't have to do that to weed. You can no. literally just clip it off the plant and let it dry and then you're done. Right. And I just think like as someone whose practice is heavily based on commuting with nature, like it's like a spiritual aid. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, walking in the woods sober, you're just like, am I, am I exercising? (laughs) Am I, is this working out? Like, do I put my headphones in? Like how far should I walk? But you, you smoke weed and you're walking in the woods and you're like, wow, this tree is my best friend. Like, let me hang out for 30 minutes and watch a frog on a lily pad. Like, yeah. hang out by the creek. I don't know. It's like you don't see that stuff. No, it's good. It's a nice thing. Um, But, okay, so but it, is, it doesn't in there. You know, it's not just commuting with nature. It's not, like, helping you meditate. No, it does not. I have, I have very good news for all of my kitchen witches out there. So all of the knowledge and power that you put into your kitchen witchery can be applied to creating magical edibles. And I 100% support all of you out there in this endeavor. Um, It's great. Do it. Let me know if you do it uh, and how great it is. Because, like, (laughs) literally, like, I think kitchen witchcraft, making edibles is kitchen witchcraft. Oh, yeah. We made some bomb brownies while Nick was here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... We're here for it. (laughs) We're here for it. But I I would say it really does kind of count as kitchen witchcraft. You could certainly put your intentions into it while you were making it, if nothing else. But, uh, I mean, you're, like, making an herbal infusion (laughs) and then baking it into a delicious treat. Yeah. That you can share with your friends. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> um, you know what I think is neat? Crap. I think it's neat to write little... <laughs> I think it's neat to write little manifestations on rolling paper and then roll up a joint with it. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that fun? Yeah. I like that a lot. I mean, and honestly, like... I mean, I don't know. I'm not so worried about smoking the ink, but... <laughs> no. Honestly, I mean... If you're smoking. Right. Um, don't like write it in lead, but right, I mean, yeah, don't use your don't use your very old pencils. <laughs> don't but. dip into your uranium stash. <laughs> but, you sure. Know, you're probably fine with a normal pen. Don't but sue you know, us if you're not, though. But, you know, I mean, I think I think with that you could also like do a sigil or a rune if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Toke up, toke up a rune. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good runes. That would give a smoking session an energetic boost. Oh, totally. But um, I, I also feel like most of our listeners here because they love plants. And like as witches, taking care of plants can be a great way to keep grounded and maintain our connection with Mother Earth, who we love. And nothing is like quite as relaxing as gardening Wahai. Please try it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I love my my go tincture that I've talked about. The root of it all is a really great um, 
it's a, a really great brand if you're in a place where you can legally buy weed. They uh, blend different like types of THC strains with Ayurvedic herbs. And I love to use the go tincture and like usually in the morning and then go out while the sun is like coming up and it's just heating up the porch and then gardening while like stoned with that really like energetic sativa. It's mm. really, really nice. That that like literally sounds so lovely. It is. And I think everyone should try that. And I really do think that, I mean, that's magic. When you oh, yeah. wake up and you do something like that, that is literally magic. Yeah. And you know what else is magic? The shower after that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, oh, I saw your fingernail brush when I was there, you know, and you got to. Oh, yeah. You got to cleanse. You got to cleanse. Yeah. So much dirt under my nails. You have to but... cleanse. You have to compartmentalize. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I'm done gardening. Let me get this dirt off my hand. The dirt stays outside. <laughs> um. Okay, but I was thinking an element of the craft that is also going to get a huge boost from being stoned is, like, anything that involves creativity. So, you know, when you're, like, making a poppet or a wreath or a garland or, like, all those things in witchcraft that are, like, arts and crafts, like, Hobby Lobby style, you know, like, Hobby Lobby sucks. Don't shop there. Um, But, like... (laughs) Yeah, but your crafty crafts. When you're crafty crafting. Um, yeah, I've got like lots of was, crafty craft stuff. You've seen them. Like, I think, you know, like, the last time I did a craft was, like, the cord cutting for 2020. And, you know, I had, like, done the drawing, and then I had, like, done the wrapping, and, like, I was high when I did that. Like, and it really, it got me into it. It got me excited about it. It was, it was fun to do. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I mean, I get high a lot of times when I do my crafting. It's uh, it, it helps me like get my head centered. And for me, as someone who's like really type A, it helps me kind of like enjoy the moment instead of worrying about what's what I'm not getting done. Right. Um, and I think there's there's no rule that says that it can't be fun. You know, like that's yeah. one of the neat things about being pagans is that. Not only do we just get to make up a lot of our own rules for ourselves, which is very empowering, um, you know, the rules that we do follow are not, like, very strict paternal-type rules, you know? It's like, have fun. Have fun with it. There's not a rule against it. Have some fun. Yeah. Fucking have fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. (laughs) That's Uh, an order. It is an order. You should be having fun. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> um, so we've covered some do's, but I think we should discuss some don'ts. Like, I personally don't think it's a great idea to do any spell that's, like, super complicated or where there's, like, a lot of steps, like, little intricate steps while you're high because you're very likely to forget important details. Um, like, I I also wouldn't advise trying anything involving astral projecting or, like, working with dreams under the influence of THC. Because even though it seems like a, like a shoe-in for something that would help with that, actually, THC absolutely disrupts your ability to achieve REM sleep, and you're probably going to have a bad time. That's, <laughs> that's my personal take. 
Yeah. Um, same thing with, I mean, alcohol does the same thing to your REM sleep too. So people think, you know, if you're trying to do anything with astral projecting that you want to take some kind of sedative. And that is simply not true. Yeah. Do you like a valerian tea? Yes. Valerian tea. Yeah. You know. You know the vibes. Um, yeah. But I, I, I also think there's like a respect and experience level issue that's kind of going to be important to talk about in like this very, you know, it's, it's the 420 episode, so I don't want this to be too serious. But like when we're doing magic, we are dealing with powerful forces, deities, spirits that are like not under our control. And it's really always a good idea to take these things seriously so as not to offend any spirits that you might be trying to call on to aid you in your work. Um, so if we like helps you focus and you can like maintain the appropriately serious attitude, then by all means full steam ahead. But if not, then, you know, maybe stay clear headed. Yeah. In ways that are respectful. Know thyself. Know thyself. Yes. Um, because you know, it's like, you don't want to giggle through an invocation. Sort of disrespectful. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like um, if you could smoke weed and I mean, I, I say like going to church, right? You know, and you could like listen to a, a church sermon and be respectful in your worship or whatever, then might fucking go for it. Right. And like, that's the kind of like level that people need to have because it's like this is religious. Yeah. Yeah. So you should be respectful. Fair. <laughs> But so going back to the dues column, one last thing, it's people's books of shadows, right? So like I would say the creativity boost you get from being high is really just a marvelous thing to use when you're like writing up your homebrew spells. Because I feel like uh, it sharpens my intuition, which is helpful here as well as with divination. And it's like all of my homebrew spells that I have done for for this podcast is like literally me sitting down and like meditating and like trying to figure out like how I would do the thing I'm trying to do. Um, So there you have it folks, my little primer on weed craft. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I think um, so now that Nick's given a primer, I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive into the plant itself. And so cannabis is it's it's a genus. It's a member of um, oh my god. So cannabis is a genus of flowering plants in the Cannabaceae family, um, and the number of species within the genus is disputed. And there are a lot of factors that contribute to that. But the biggest thing is that like stoners throughout history have been more concerned with like breeding the plants to get the desired effects than with tracking the species creations. Um, you know, I think cannabis is one of the plants more than any other that has a wide history of laymen sort of playing around with breeding it. Like you're not going to find a huge variety of homebred philodendron, like not yet at least. Um, So, you know, that's the biggest reason that there's not really any strong answer as to exactly how many species there are of cannabis. But like corn and wheat, marijuana has been around for a long time. Nick, do you want to take a guess to uh, exactly how long cannabis has existed? Well, um, yeah, I really don't know, but I would say, you know, they found 
that Iceman, the Iceman had weed in his pocket. So, you know, thousands. Yeah. At least. 12,000 years. 12,000 years. Cannabis has been around. So there are trace records at archaeological sites that do show that the Chinese culture in particular knew about this plant between 10,000 and 4,000 years ago. Um, And around 5,000 years ago, legend says that a Chinese emperor, quote unquote, discovered the herb and used it to create textiles and harness the health and psychoactive effects of the plant um, by using it to allegedly make a tea which was recommended as a treatment for more than a hundred illnesses, including things like gout, rheumatism, malaria, and absent mindedness, uh, which (laughs) kind of sounds like all of the things cannabis can treat today. Uh, There are also records of Egyptians using it 3,500 years ago to treat things like glaucoma and hemorrhoids. And then from there we can trace it down into like the rest of Africa and over to the Caribbean. And then finally to like North and South America. So You might have guessed, though, that these early plants are incredibly different than what we've come to know. And those ancient marijuana plants are actually called landrace strains. And from there, we have ancient stoners getting into breeding and crossbreeding to get specific effects. And so there's not a written record of where all the strains came from, but science can now get right into the DNA heart of things to sort of identify which landrace strains um, different hybrids have come from. So the landrace strains themselves actually contain less diluted DNA, though, than other cannabis strains. So it's closer to what, you know, that ancient Chinese emperor would have used to brew his tea. So during the next several hundred years, uh, you know, once this gets over into North America, I think we've got a lot of like knowledge about the history over here in particular, we see these developing into like all of the various hybrid strains um, kind of happening concurrently all over the globe. I'm just speaking from the perspective of people that live in North America. Um, But the reality is just like, if you're hearing this and you're like, man, but like landrace strains must be better, right? Less diluted DNA, all that purity bullshit. Well, that's that's not really the case. You know, they're just less genetically diluted. But if you if you have the chance to consume one, you will be experiencing closer to what it did when it was a wild species. But the reality is it might barely get you high or alleviate your pain or whatever you're trying to do with it compared to modern strains. You know, it's just it hasn't been specialty bred. For Although, what you I, to I do. mean, you know, and it's like maybe this is just like me being, I don't, just like a, <laughs> like a gross stereotypical sooner, but it's like, I still think it would be cool to smoke like some BC weed. Oh, yeah. No, it would definitely be cool. Uh, it just isn't necessarily going to be more fun. <laughs> right. Like, I, just to say that I did it. Like, yeah. it, would, it would be cool. Just, it would be cool to do. Well, you can get Landry strains, so we can talk about that. Um, <laughs> but let's like talk about like the plant itself, though. So members of the Cannabaceae family are either erect or climbing plants, and the entire family includes like trees, uh, lianas, like woody vines, and herbaceous plants. And in the family, the leaves are born oppositely or in spirals. And are often like palmately lobed or compound. And the uh, the plants are commonly uh, either like male or female. So they're not typically hermaphroditic plants, although sometimes that does happen uh, through the breeding process. And sometimes the, the term marijuana is used interchangeably with cannabis. But the latter specifically refers to the plant genus, which comprises like 
cannabis sativa and by some classifications, cannabis indica and cannabis uh, ruderalis. So marijuana itself, though, does vary in potency depending on the variety and where and how it was grown, prepared for use, and how it was stored. So the active ingredient tetrahydrocannabinol, uh, or THC, is present in all parts of both the male and female plants, but it's the most concentrated in the resin or the cannabin in the flowering tops of the female plants. Which so, is the, the the keef, if you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. The keef, the shake. Um, yeah. So if you are in a place where it's legal, don't sue us, please. No one sue us. Um, and if you'd like to grow cannabis, I want to talk a little bit about how to take care of the plant. So first, you need to be able to identify the differences between a male and a female plant. So the female plant really has like all the juicy goodness that you want. And the male plant really is just there to pollinate the female plant, which it sounds innocuous, but it really isn't. So when female marijuana plants are pollinated, they actually move their energy into seed production and they stop using it to feed like the flowering buds, which is what you are wanting to smoke to get high. So allowing a male plant to grow, you know, next to one of your female plants is actually a bad idea because that can lead to like reduced bud harvest and it can ruin a lot of the like psychoactive properties of the female cannabis plants fruit quote unquote. So be sure that you're separating all male and female plants right away. Many marijuana seeds actually can look alike for the males and females. So really the only way to know for sure if the seed you're holding is a male or a female is to label it immediately after removing it from the plant. But if you're not the one removing it, chances are, you know, you might end up getting a mixed bag. Even if you are buying something that's sold as exclusively female seeds, there's a chance there could be a male seed or two in there. So just be careful. You're going to really want to like keep an eye on that. Um, you know, you want to just like do your research uh, with different types of strains. There's going to be like kind of differences that you can see between the male and the female plants. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So once you have your seed though, you're going to want to start by germinating it. Uh, I think the best way to do this is probably in a damp paper towel, but you could also do it in a cup of water. So you're going to leave the wet seed covered in a warm, dark place for about 24 hours until the seed sprouts what is called its taproot. And when the taproot emerges, you can take it out of its little damp home and put it in some good, healthy soil. So for soil, Fox Farms Happy Frog Potting Soil is like one of the most highly recommended soils. And it really is just a phenomenal company that makes quality products. So I, I honestly recommend Fox Farms sort of across the board for soils and fertilizers. Um, I'm purchasing a shit ton of it for growing my own vegetables. So I, I really do. I, I can't highly recommend it enough. The quality is just so good. So once your marijuana, uh, once your cannabis plants taproot is in the soil, it's going to start taking up lots and lots of nutrients for the plant. And then eventually you're going to see the embryonic leaves emerge. And these are called cotyledon. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about cotyledon seeds when they're talking about plants. And those are like the first couple of leaves that emerge. They don't look anything like the mature leaves, but that's okay and normal. Um, and fun fact, actually, the number of cotyledon present is one way that botanists classify uh, flowering plants. So now you know something else. Uh, so the next pair of leaves, though, that are going to grow in after the cotyledon are going to be much more recognizable as marijuana, you know, leaves, the cannabis leaves. They're going to have those like rounded points that are very recognizable. 
And then all in all, the seedling will grow between like four and eight leaves during this stage of the development. And the seedling phase can last anywhere from like one to three weeks. And, you know, that depends on so many things. You know, it's like light duration, the strain, how much moisture, etc. So, you know, just like as long as your plant is healthy, there's no need to like freak out if it lasts a little longer or a little less long. But the next step in the life cycle of the cannabis plant is the vegetative phase. So during this phase, this is when the stem of the plant is going to get thicker and taller, and it's going to uh, begin to develop new nodes. And those nodes are going to produce even more leaves and even more branches. So that's when you're really getting like sort of like the full bushy plant. And because it's growing and producing leaves and branches, your plant is going to need a lot of like fresh, warm water, plenty of dry flowing air, and a lot of nitrogen rich organic nutrients. So things like fish emulsion, seaweed, those are really great things to feed your marijuana plant. Um, And as much soil space as possible. It is very important not to overcrowd cannabis plants. Like they can spread up to like three feet. So just be sure that you're giving them room. Um, They're prone to things like spider mites. So, you know, you really do want to make sure you're leaving room for Jesus. Um, So during this time though, your marijuana plant is going to grow from like an eight inch little baby into a two to three foot tall tree, basically within the span of three to six weeks. And the growth rate really does depend on how many um, or how much the leaves can like gather sunlight and transform it into energy, otherwise known as photosynthesis. And so this is why um, your plant's going to need long hours of sunlight. So 12 to 15 hours outside or 18 hours of fluorescent light per day. And this is one of the hardest things I think about growing cannabis at home is like the light needs are very specific. And that's one of the biggest considerations. So once the plant starts receiving less uh, outdoor daylight or, you know, with your, if you reduce the amount of hours it's getting from the fluorescent light, Um, it's going to actually like halt its growth and then enter the pre-flowering phase. And so it can take anywhere from like one to five months for your plant to enter the pre-flowering stage. And when it finally does, that's when you're going to be able to verify whether or not you've planted all females. So if your plant is male, you're going to see a little green kind of like banana-like structure on the node regions of the plants. And that's where the plant, like where the leaves meet the main stem. And these little sacs are where the pollen lives and they only appear on male plants. And so when you see these, the male plants need to be separated immediately before those little green sacs burst open and release the pollen. Because if you don't find it in time and they do burst, the pollen can fertilize like your nearby female plants and then you're done skis. Like it's going to ruin your harvest. So keep a very close eye on that. Um, and when you keep your female marijuana plant from being pollinated by a male plant, you produce what's called um, a sensimilla, which is Spanish for without seed. And that refers to like a female cannabis plant that doesn't have any seeds because it hasn't been fer- fertilized by pollen. Um, and sensimilla plants produce large amounts of resin as well as fake seed pods, uh, both of which contain high percentages of THC. And you can identify sensimilla plants by the white hairs that emerge from the pear-shaped bracts at their plant nodes. So they get these like kind of like long white hairs that are, they're pretty obvious if you're looking at the plant or looking at pictures of that. But you do need to keep in mind 
once in a while you will find a hermaphroditic plant. Um, and that means, of course, it's going to have both sets of reproductive organs. It'll have both glands and leaves. And hermaphroditic cannabis plants can actually pollinate themselves <laughs> and ruin your harvest. So if you have one of those, again, you're also going to need to like get that shit out of there. Um, so for this reason, like it is very, 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 very important to remain vigilant and separate and destroy any hermaphroditic plants. Um, that way you don't ruin your sensimia, uh, basically. <laughs> so once the light duration begins to decrease, either naturally or artificially, it's going to officially move into this flowering stage. And that's when your plant will continue to grow uh, into sticks and leaves without producing any of the flowers like medicinal qualities, unless it's like exposure is gradually reduced. So if you don't reduce the light, it's just going to keep growing bigger and longer like stems. It's not going to like flower and have those like beautiful buds that are smokable. So you, you do I mean, have honestly, to do this. And, and so I, I do kind of want to jump in here because like forcing flowering on a smaller plant um, is actually a great way to think about it uh, for people who are growing indoors um, because you, you, can't necessarily have like a six foot tall plant just growing in your house yeah yeah you can't and and it is like you're going to be able to affect the flowering by adjusting the amount of light it gets which again is why i think that growing cannabis at home is not for the faint-hearted it takes a lot of work (laughs) they're a pretty like time-consuming plant so you know just just know that it's not uh it's it's not all fun and games if you want to actually enjoy the product but yeah nick that's a great point if you have the plant at a size that's manageable for you you can go ahead and like reduce the light duration to force it into that flowering phase and i i mean honestly that's what a lot of people will do when they're doing like grow cabinets since they like switch it to flower mode basically cuz it's like it's filled up the cabinet and then that's when you know to like start pretending it's fall now or yeah whatever. yeah it's like basically you're gonna drop it down from 18 hours of daylight to 12 hours from your artificial right. lights um and during the flowering stage your plant is going to require potassium and phosphorus based nutrients so you're going to be wanting to look for fertilizers that include things like bat guano and that's going to help your flowers really set properly Um, And when it does, though, you're going to begin to see and smell those like dank trichome saturated cola buds that, you know, we all come to know and love and associate with the marijuana plant. So these buds are going to produce like long, thin, milky white hairs or pistils that will begin to emerge over the next eight to 10 weeks. And all of this flowering activity really is triggered by like a simple reduction in light, which is like amazingly magical. (laughs) So... Once it's flowered, though, you can then move into harvesting. And this is the next thing that's kind of tricky is like making sure that you're harvesting at the right time. So you're going to know your cannabis plant is ready to harvest when the pistils on the cola buds, the hue is going to kind of shift from a milky white to a reddish orange, those little hairs. Um, And you'll also, if you're going to go hard, the best way to do this is to use a microscope to check the color of the heads of the trichomes that are coming out of the cola buds. And you're going to know that your buds are ready for harvest when the trichome heads go from like a clear and uh, like a clear sort of like trichome to like a milky and opaque, almost to amber. 
But the presence of more amber trichome heads actually tends to indicate a higher CBD to THC cannabinoid profile ratio. Um, and for some people, that's great. But if you want to harvest your marijuana plant for its like full THC or CBD effects, you don't want the trichomes to fall off. So that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, you want to make sure before those trichomes all fall off, you're harvesting. Like you, you can let it go for too long. <laughs> um, once that happens, once the trichomes fall off, the majority of the cannabinoids don't, don't, are now don't gone. Don't be greedy and think it's going to keep growing. Exactly. Exactly. It's like keep because an then eye you'll on the have trichomes. an ounce. Then you'll have an ounce of very shitty weed. Yeah. Then you might as well be buying ditch weed from the high school or down the like down the block from you. Um, so, you know, again, it's like you're keeping an eye on those like trichome heads. You do want them to like you do want the mo- most of them to kind of go from that like clear to like milky or amber. But like, don't wait until they're all totally amber or else you're you're going to have stuff start falling off and then you're going to be real bummed because you wasted a shit ton of time on weed. That's not going to be great. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're going to be looking though, for a ratio, like a lot of growers actually suggest harvesting when half the trichomes on the plant are opaque. So that's when in theory, it produces the highest level of THC with the lowest level of CBD, which CBD actually counteracts the sort of like euphoric psychoactive effects of THC. And so that's another like fun fact or hot tip, you know, you can actually use CBD to help if you've gotten a little too high for your liking. So if you're someone that, you know, is a big stoner, or even if you're like new and want to experiment with like edibles or something, it can be a good idea to keep some CBD on hand. Um, You know, that can be a useful little tool for you if you get too high to sort of help you come back down, feel a little bit more level. Do you ever take CBD, Shannon? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love CBD. In fact, my favorite like tinctures and stuff usually do have a good amount of CBD in them. Um, oh, but- sure. well, you're in California, so they they list both. I like because yeah. oh, we we have we got C, uh, hemp legalized here some some goddamn how. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I also have a vape that I really enjoy. That's a one to one CBD to THC. I find that it just helps you stay a little bit less uh, anxious. It helps you keep more even keeled, and it also helps you from hitting that point where you feel too stoned. Because even if I, you smoke a lot, like I think everybody's hit that point, and it's just not great. You don't feel no. as it's not as fun. I, I was gonna say I do like the little uh like the CBD flower pre-rolls for that. Yeah. Because it's like it's like, oh, I'm just gonna step outside and smoke a cigarette really quickly. And you're like, I'm just gonna hit this CBD really quickly so no one knows that I'm too high. Yeah. And it's it's good to have. So um the little hairs that grow inside the calyxes though, or the pistols, are also another clue that can help you determine when to harvest your cannabis. Um, if there are specific like types of properties you're wanting it to contain. So like the color of the pistols, those little like white hairs, it changes from bright white to kind of like it it's like burnt orange or almost even brown at the end of the plant. So are, are those phase. are those the red hairs, so to speak? No, 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 no. So these are different than those. These are kind of like longer hairs that stick out of the plant a little bit more. And so on one end of the spectrum, if you notice a higher ratio of like white to red pistols, that means your pot's going to produce more of like a euphoric THC high. And on the other end, if there's like a higher ratio of red to white pistols, that means your pot is going to produce more of like a sober sort of calm CBD stone feeling. Um, Yeah, those pistols are kind of like longer. I'll have to send you a picture. It's uh, 
the marijuana plant has a very complicated anatomy. It. Oh my god, have you ever like cut a bud in half with a knife? I have. Yeah, it's so cool. Like a yeah, like a sh- okay. I would encourage everyone out there if you feel confident in doing so and definitely using a small bud cut one in half with yeah. you, with with your like vegetable knife and like look at the inside of it it's very it's kooky <laughs> that's all i can say yeah so it's like i'm trying to find pictures of it i guess for some the pistols do end up being part of what you're thinking but it depends on the plant because on some of them the pistols are very obviously like something that's a little bit more leggy that you're going to cut off. They kind of look almost like um, the pistols almost look like they kind of look like individual pot leaves, almost kind of sticking out of the bud. If that makes sense. I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. Good, good, good. Okay, cool. So, you, so that is like the thing that you're going to be looking at too. Cause that can also tell you, where you're at like in the heart. Well, you just kept phase. saying like if it turns red and I'm like, is it the little hairs? No, <laughs> no. Yeah, no. It's there's so many things to consider with these. Um so anyway, squarely though, in between those two extremes, cannabis crops that are harvested in the middle of the flowering cycle, when about half the trichome heads are opaque and the pistols aren't all the way brown, should have a pretty like balanced THC to C B D blend. Um and when you've determined that you're ready to harvest Basically, what you're going to need is like a good pair of scissors or a sharp pruning tool, and you're going to cut the trunk from the roots so it can be dried. So you're going to basically cut your plant into small sections, string up the pieces, hang them upside down from lines of twine in a dark, cool room. Humidity needs to be around 40 to 50 percent, and then let it hang that way for like four to six days. And when you're like cutting your pot plant into sections for drying, you can also like trim the leaves and stems and set them aside. And then you can use all of that to like eventually process it to make things like can of butter or concentrate. Um, And then once your buds are done drying, though, you're going to place them in like a wide mouth glass jar. Mason jars are great for this. That has like a screw top lid. You're going to fill them just below the top, but don't like pack it in because you do want airflow. And then you're going to store those jars in a closet or cabinet where the temperature is pretty steady between like 50 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's kind of like similar to what you need for like uh, like a wine cellar. <laughs> um, and then your jars should stay here for like one to three weeks. And that's how you kind of like cure the buds, which finishes the harvesting process. So now that we've Did gone. Th- have, have I told you about the time that I tried to grow weed? No. Like. Okay, so I can tell this story now, but it was like way back in high school, and I tried to do it in my closet with grow lights, and I ended up with like the lankiest little like Charlie Brown Christmas tree of a weed plant. And you know, you know what I'm realizing is that I was doing it. I mean, I was kind of doing it uh, very unguided. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) The internet was different when we were in high school. It was very different. That. It really was. But um, I was doing not enough light because I was just doing like when the sun was out. Oh, yeah. So it just was it was just getting like idiolated. Yeah. Ah, well, now you know better. 
now I know. It should have been getting like 18 hours of sun every day. Yeah. Well, so now that we've like gone through the growth cycle of the plant, I do want to talk like briefly about some of its magical associations. I know Nick's kind of hinted at some of the stuff in the section about weed magic, um, but there is really like an incredibly long history of using cannabis and magic. And, you know, Nick's talked about shamans and, you know, magicians have all used cannabis among like other spiritual plants to like alter their consciousness and like enter magical realms. Like the ancient Scythians burned cannabis in their funerary rites for kings. Um, and that was described by um, Herodotus in about 450 BCE and corroborated by archaeologists who have actually found the remains of these like tent structures and offering vessels with like burnt cannabis seeds at Scythian dig sites. Um, the Kurgans, a proto-Indo-European. So, so wait, wait, so, so, if they were, they're in a tent burning weed yeah, for they, someone. They were hot boxing. They're hot boxing. They're hot. Boxing. Okay, I just, I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to hop in there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Wait, no, they, they're hot boxing. Sounds like, kind of sounds like they're hot boxing in there. They are. <laughs> oh, um, that sounds fun. The Kurgans, who are a, a proto-Indo-European people who lived about five thousand years ago in the region uh, that we now know as Romania, they used cannabis and their religious rites. Early Chinese necromancers also used cannabis to like move through time and see future events. Um, and as a spiritual ally, you know, cannabis has helped shamans and other people delve into like the mysteries of what it means to be a human um, and how to heal deep wounds and how we fit into this earthly realm. You know, there's a very long history of this. So it's great for things like love magic, healing, visions, and meditation, like Nick's already mentioned. Um, one way that it used to be uh, utilized was like to be burned with like mugwort. So mugwort and hemp were actually prescribed to be burned before like a magic scrying mirror to gain visions. Uh, it's also added to a lot of like vision and scrying incense blends. And the smoke is said to open your psychic senses. So, you know, there's lots of great things you can do here. But my very favorite thing is uh, I sent Nick a picture of this. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but... In the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs by Scott Cunningham, I just want to read this like suggested spell because it's my very favorite thing. Um, hemp has long been used in love spells. So such as in the following infamous hemp seed spell, take a handful of hemp seeds to a church at midnight, preferably just as midsummer begins. Walk around the church nine times, sprinkling the hemp seed as you walk and repeat the following words. Hemp seed I sow, hemp seed I sow, who will come after me and mow? You will see a vision of your future husband or wife, and you may also get the local church in trouble with the law. <laughs> I honestly, I love that so much. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I actually didn't put into my bit about weed magic was that they think that's what they did uh, at Delphi. Yeah. With the oracles was just like yeah. getting fucking stone stone but yeah and so the plant is considered feminine which makes sense um because you know the female plant is the one that produces all the goods uh and it is associated with the planet saturn i've also seen it associated with venus which makes sense for all the love work and the element of water so the sources i've used are honestmarijuana.com of course, Scott Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, uh, Britannica.com, ThePracticalHerbalist.com, and The Fat Feminist Witch has an episode on Cannel Witches, where she talks about cannabis and witchcraft. And we we love that. Yeah. So this was this was our this is our official 420 episode. Um it's and I think this is this will be a fun fact for um 
you know, the people listening, but when we were doing the draft in this episode, I saved it as episode 420, even though it is episode 26. Yeah. But it's um, still episode I- 420 on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, so we uh we covered we covered weed, we covered doing magic with weed. Um and we we were wanting wondering kind of what deity we should cover with this one. And Green Man seemed like the obvious fit, right? Uh, but you know, like Beltane's coming up, Mayday's coming up, just around the corner, and like these are the traditional times that like the Green Man devotees that we have now would do offerings to him or like invoke him or some way with like a mask or you know whatever. But uh, you know, there's kind of a personal connection here as well. Um, and here in Austin, we have a festival called Eeyore's Birthday. Eeyore's Birthday is so fun. Uh, which, yes, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, it, for everyone that doesn't live here or didn't used to live here like Shanna did. Uh, and the park where they used to have it has a very, very well done, like, saw carving of Green Man on a stump. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I think 420, I think of yours birthday, and then Green Man. You know, yeah. it's like two degrees of separation. Right. In there's also, head- like, there's also a beautiful, like, uh, Eeyore statue. <laughs> there, There is, but that one is bronze, and that's, like, yeah, a proper yeah, yeah. part of the park. The The Green Man is kind of off to one side. Oh, no, for creek. sure. I just want to, like, point it out for the Eeyore connection there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but so, like, this is also the perfect time of year to take a walk in the woods which is like literally the most like square one way to invoke green man is like going for a walk in the woods yeah but um who exactly is green man and i was so excited to cover this when we were doing the like planning session because i was like oh green man this is gonna be fucking cool um but who who is Green Man? Uh, Green Man's in like every like page. I mean, you know, I go to the I go to the bookstore a lot, and I read like every book I can get my hands on on witchcraft. Um, and Green Man is everywhere. But yeah, I, it's kind of like Green Man is sort of an accepted thing in a lot of these contexts. Um, but but yeah. Who is Green Man? So I think to answer this question, we actually have to start with a quirky piece of stonework found on many medieval churches in Western Europe and the UK. Um, So these carvings usually depict a long-haired, bearded man with leafy vines growing out of either his mouth or sort of in a laurel around his head. Sometimes he's got stag horns. Very, very rarely, Green Man is a lady. There are green ladies out there, uh, which I learned uh, doing the research for this. Right. Shout out to all the green ladies. Shout out to all of the green ladies, because I feel like some, like one green lady probably has to listen to this podcast. I mean, you know. <laughs> At least. Um, and so, like, the original purpose of the carvings, though, has been lost in time. Um, like... There's there's no there's no official name for them and there's not like good references for them uh, in any Masonic references, which Masons, stonemasons, of course, uh, being the people who made the churches, uh, have a lot of references left over for lots of different things like the eaves of roofs and buttresses and 
and all kinds of things that you might want to build, but um, there's really no explanation for Green Man. And so uh, a lot of scholars believe that instead of being like one identifiable deity, Green Man is kind of meant to be an amalgamation, perhaps, of like several old pagan gods and legends. Dionysus comes up a lot. Personal favorite of mine, by the way, Bacchus, who is analogous to Dionysus Pan, even going back uh, to ancient Egypt and Osiris. Um, and, and these all have like strong connections to the powers of rebirth present in nature and are kind of presented as like wild men who live in nature and are like somewhat mischievous, but basically good. Right. Uh, and they all kind of represent like the masculine facets of spring's glorious revival. Um, and it's funny because like all of this goes down during tortoise season, which is ruled by Venus, which is a very feminine energy. Uh, but wouldn't it make sense that you would you would celebrate sort of a masculine energy during a a Venus season and and celebrate like the feminine energy of spring, like Persephone and all of that during like a very masculine season, like Aries season, you know, like early spring, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you kind of have like a, like a switch up there. Um, but so the crazy thing here is that like, even though a lot of modern Wiccans especially celebrate and revere the green man, I, oh my God, like I'm going to be so unpopular for saying this. And I was so excited to do this segment, but there just like, isn't any evidence that green man as we know him is actually an ancient pagan deity. (laughs) Um, so that doesn't make him any less like powerful or meaningful. And like truthfully, this is one of my favorite spirits to call on because like that's like my vibe, right? Like Green Man. But he's new. Yeah. Or at least Green Man as we know him is kind of new. Um and so like aside from the confusing masonry, like the legends of Green Man really began in 1939, which is honestly shockingly recent that's like the eve of world war ii um and one of the things i was reading that i thought was interesting was that you know maybe it the green man really resonated with the people like in the lead up to world war ii because you have like the industrialized war machine gaining power and like maybe looking back fondly on a poorly remembered pagan past was it seemed idyllic and peaceful right um but so there was a lady raglan uh noticed the green man or the foliate head as they were that that's what the feature on the churches were called um a foliate head uh at her local church in monmouthshire england um and so she noticed them at other churches across the uk as well and was you know, very interested in the phenomenon and decided to get to the bottom of what really must have been a truly exciting mystery at the time. And I'm honestly a little jealous that, I mean, a lot of people think she's wrong in where she went with it. But, I mean, just trying to figure it out 
it's like the Da Vinci Code going to all the churches, and you're like, who is Green Man? Who the <laughs> fuck is Green Man? Yeah, you know, I want to watch that movie. That would be such a cool movie, or at least a book. Um, but okay, so the figure does resemble mosaics of a leaf festooned Bacchus that has been shown in more ancient mosaics. Um, she also drew connections between the Green Man and the Green Knight of Arthurian legend, who was like the guardian of the forest and ended up. OK, so the thing with Green Man, and this is like a very good point to stop as well with the, the uh, Gawain, the Green Knight, Gawain and the Green Knight was that they were enemies at first. But then because the Green Knight had deemed Gawain like a worthy person, they ended up being allies uh, because that's kind of the green man's vibe is that he's like the protector of the forest, almost like uh, the forest spirit in Princess Mononoke is not a green man, is not presented as a green man, but but I has think, the vibes, but spiritually and the staghorns as well. But like yeah. spiritually carries like what I feel are the essential elements of green man as well. Um, so she was talking about the green knight from Arthurian legends uh, Robin Hood, who lives in the woods, and like, pass sort of. There's like an element of passing judgment as well. Like he takes from rich people who aren't good and gives it to the poor people who are good. Um, and then there, there's also kind of Jack in the Green, uh, which is, I okay. So another funny side story involving Green Man, but during May Day in some parts of the UK, uh some man is chosen to be Jack in the green and he basically gets wasted and dresses up as a tree and attends the festivities. Um, and but getting wasted is part of it. You can't just dress up as a tree. You have to get wasted. That is part of it. So, <laughs> um, but that particular tradition is from the 18th century and that's at the oldest. So it's like hardly a smoking gun connecting any actual ancient pagan traditions with the modern version of the Green Man. Um, so we basically have a spirit who is neither an identifiable old god nor like an obvious fabrication because there's some fucking reason they carved him into all those medieval churches. I mean, you know, at the very least he was popular, but there's, I mean, some people even think it's Odin. But... It's very hard to to say. It's very hard to say because they didn't fucking write it down. And it's very frustrating. And I understand why she would went all over the country trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I would just say, why does it matter? It And that, like, okay, way to blow up my conclusion here, Shannon. <laughs> um, Sorry. But no, okay, so, but very popular, so so popular, in fact, that many popular fantasy characters are directly modeled after the Green Man as the Lady, I'm, roll, I'm scrolling back up, Lady Raglan. Lady Raglan came up with, like, her sort of backstory of the Green Man, was that he was the protector of the forest, he might have been all of these old gods, but, like, she thought he was sort of like a pan- European spirit that represented like a like a general view of of the old pagan ways, right? Yeah. Um, but 
ended up being very popular, and there's two in Lord of the Rings. Uh, Tom Bombadil and Treebeard the End and are can, both... Can I just... I have to say, I think my most... I'm so fucking bummed that Tom Bombadil didn't make it into the movies. And I understand that it's not exactly relevant and that you can do the whole story without it. But Tom Bombadil is my favorite character. No, Tom Bombadil is great. Tom Bombadil is married to like a a nymph. Tom Bombadil is everything. And he keeps her in a little pond or something like that. Anyway. (laughs) Anywho, Tom Bombadil is great and Treebeard is great. Peter Pan is a contender for being partly based on Green Man as well because he's very wild and he lives in the wilderness. Um, so like basically every fantasy novel, though, features some character who is some flavor of wild magic man from the woods. Yeah. I mean, it caught on. My personal theory, and this is one that I did not see when I was doing my research, is that the Lorax is kind of like the Green Man. Well, uh, the Lorax does speak for the trees. He speaks for the trees. And also, Earth Day is two days after 420. And it's coming up. Um, so I had, you know, I had to give a shout out to the Lorax. Uh, but yeah, he's the guardian of the forest. The Green Man is the guardian of the forest. The forest spirit from Princess Mononoke is the guardian of the forest. So what does it fucking matter if he's got a name or not? Like, I think wild spaces have protective spirits. Yeah. Um, But... In our most recent neo-pagan revival, Green Man has seen, like, a huge surge of popularity and has, like, very, very many devotees among the Wiccan community. And, like, why, though? Would we try to make offerings or invoke a deity that is manufactured? And, I mean, that's my, you know, that's a tough one to answer, but the answer is, I think, you know, wild places have protective spirits. And I think... You know, it's um, it's sort of hasty. There's a lot of hubris involved in trying to slap labels on something like that. But we have Green Man. Green Man is kind of like a, a proxy for that. And that's kind of how I think about it. And I think that's how a lot of other people think about it. But, um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to, like, dig too deep in here into my whole like, you know, like thing. So I'm not going to. But um, but I think, okay, so communing with nature is such a large part of my practice. It's really just a no-brainer for me to, like, be involved with Green Man. Because I definitely have felt that energy, like, deep in the woods. And I would be hard-pressed to embody that vibe more efficiently than the Green Man. You know, like, I mean, even though someone already someone else already did it, if I was trying to, like, convey that idea to someone else... It would end up looking a lot like Green Man anyway. So, um, but so if we can stay on that track, like just a while longer, I also feel like anyone who is interested in the Fae is familiar with that feeling of like protective energy in like certain parts of the wilderness. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I think for me at the end of the day, it's like, I don't necessarily think that Green Man is manufactured as much as it's just a, like you've said, it's like there are protective spirits and this is just like, a name that we've put onto a concept that like, I think anyone who's ever been in the fucking woods is familiar with. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, okay, but 
And so I mentioned this to you during our like note session that I like didn't want to QWP ourselves, but like I think Green Man is really chill. Yeah. And I I think Green Man is like like Tom Bombadil, just like very chill dude, hangs out in the forest, very protective though, and but like a good ally for outdoorsmanship of like any kind. Um so if that's something that you do, if you go hiking, if you go camping, I mean, if you go hunting, maybe we should talk about that. Honestly, I'm like not super for it. But, um, you know, if you are out in nature, like Green Man is a, is an ally. Like think of Green Man as an ally. Wouldn't you rather have Green Man as an ally than someone who sees you as a threat? Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, though, like just taking a nice relaxing walk in the woods is a very simple way to invoke the sort of green man energy and i think uh, you can attest to this but i also love to put like flowers and leaves in my hair when i'm hanging out in the woods or or by the creek or even just in a park that's got nice flowers and leaves um surely you've seen me do that before yeah once or twice (laughs) um but uh, you know if you're really feeling the green man vibes you can forage for like leaves and moss and things for a green man mask because it is the season after all. And that's really like one of the the best ways to really like get into like the green man vibe is like maybe even make a green man mask out of found materials and like leave it in the woods somewhere because I'd certainly rather see people doing that than trying to carve a green man into a tree, especially a living tree. This is very disrespectful. Yeah, can we stop fucking carving in trees? Every time I see someone carve, like, a tree with a carving in it, I just feel like I have to go up and apologize to the tree. It's very rude. <laughs> I don't like um, it. Okay, but while we're here, I th- I'm talking about foraging for a green man mask, which, um, I mean, maybe we'll post one, but, I mean, you you all know, you all have Google. You know, you're good, you can Google what green man looks like and then make a mask out of it, but, okay. I did want to do some quick foraging tips here as well. Um, since foraging is like also a very big green man vibe, uh, and like taking anything out of the wilderness, you would definitely want to like invoke green man. So, so he's not mad, (laughs) um, as well, but okay. So obviously you want to know like what you're actually picking when you pick leaves, because you think leaves are sort of harmless, but, Poison ivy exists, and it does kind of look cool. So if you're making a laurel or a flower crown or a green man mask, um, you know, you you can't just pick any old leaves up off the ground. Be careful. Um, Pictures are super helpful. And depending on, like, how out in the wild you're trying to get, you might lose some phone service. So uh, if you're doing reference photos on your phone or trying to use a website to help guide you, um, take some screenshots. Yeah, and also I would say always like default to just wearing gloves if mm-hmm. you, yes. I think that's always like even if you're very experienced, I think gloves if you're going to be foraging things are always just like a good bet cuz even if the plant itself is safe, like what if there's like a stingy little insect on the back of it? I was going to say, I mean, uh, here in Texas we have fire ants almost yep. everywhere. Yeah. So you really never know. Even if you're picking a perfectly harmless plant out of the ground, you may be disturbing some fire ants. And yes, gloves. Gloves is a good way to go. I, I thought the pictures thing um, 
was kind of like a like a hot tip though. Oh yeah, because, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think the pictures are really great too, though. Because I, I well, but specifically being like you know, like everyone can go to a website that will you know, it's like if I look up poisonous plants in Texas, I, like I could probably even find a website that does it by county if I really like dug deep enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like if you're depending on going out into wilderness and then still being able to pull that website up on your phone you're very likely you won't be able to you very likely will not be able to so if you if you need reference photos save them yeah (laughs) um and you know i i would say definitely don't just like casually try to get into foraging and immediately go for risky things like berries or like especially 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 mushrooms yeah right away like, leaves are a very nice, gentle starting point. Don't start with eatables. No. Like, like things for crafting like this is, a, like, a good way to kind of dip your toes. And um, I think, like, this is a huge one for me. Uh, know your allergies. Like, y'all, it is rough getting bad skin reactions to things like bull nettle or milkweed. And, like, you can definitely have allergic reactions to things and not die like you would just be more itchy than the other person with you who wasn't um not everyone can afford to go get allergy tested of course um but be mindful if you do go out and something like is very irritating to you you know try to remember it because take a picture of it take a picture of it exactly and so that way when you're out foraging next time you're like no 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 this is you're like this isn't poison ivy but for some reason this gives me a rash yeah right as someone who gets rashy very easily it's not fun it's not fun keep an eye and and the thing is is like different people will get rashy from different plants Yeah. so you know you can't just go out into nature and just do things i mean you can but that would be very ill-advised yeah and we're trying to give you good advice. Exactly. <laughs> Positive advice. Um, okay, but back to the green man. I'm sorry for going on such a... I, I feel like... Um, so I, I sort of decided to be stoned when we did this episode. But I'm like, I just want to be everyone's mom. I'm like, y'all watch out. <laughs> be careful. Like, I love everyone so much. Please be careful. <laughs> um... But, like, okay, back to Green Man, I'm, like, definitely thinking the vibe here is that I'm personally encouraging y'all to go celebrate May Day by chilling in the woods, smoking a fatty if you've got it, like, definitely at least put a flower behind your ear because you know you want to, maybe wear something green or brown, actually definitely wear something green or brown, I'm giving you options here, so there's no reason not to, and... Maybe do a green man mask. Yeah. If you're spicy. Ooh, if you're spicy. I like it. Okay. Uh, but definitely don't carve green man into a tree. Don't, or we will find you and beat you up. <laughs> well, we, we have a very short QWP today. And yeah. I, 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 okay, so for everyone out there, like this is less of like a spiritual practice that we think is us, but it's kind of more of like a rant that we both do um, kind of back and forth. So there's like a certain kind of person that you will frequently run into um, either being a stoner or being a witch. Like it's this, it's the stoner witch. 
but like not the stoner witch specifically, but like the like the generically spiritual stoners. Like they're not yeah. witches. They're just like I'm spiritual. Yep. And like we're talking about the live, laugh, love, and light crowd. Um, <laughs> and like I don't like to be gate- gatekeepery, but like they're annoying. Um. Yeah. Like. I don't know. I like love and like, it's not even just the, it's like not just the love and light. It's like the fact that they don't know so much about witchcraft, even though they want to like buy all the stuff because it makes them feel spiritual. And then yeah, they want to be like very toxic and be like, oh, I just can't be around negative people or negative vibes because I'm very privileged and... You know, it's like, I just, I don't get it. And you run into them everywhere. And it's like, not only do they make witches look stupid, but just like, I don't know. I hate sharing space with them. And that's why this is rant. Uh, yeah. And if, you know, it's it's kind of like the white people with dreads who live in Costa Rica to do art without any discernible income whatsoever. Yeah. And then tell you that they don't believe in shadow work because they only believe in love and light and if you would just accept that you wouldn't have to do shadow work and it's like okay well you're fucking dumb like yeah it's the type of people that like are like oh anything bad that happens is just bad vibes they're people that don't like to talk about anything of substance because it makes them sad they're really Mm. just like the worst type of people and you know and you you run into them fucking everywhere especially at things like eeyore's birthday yeah well i think that people get it we hate this type of human because they're not helpful to the collective they care so much about the personal um Mm -hmm. so i guess that brings us close to the end and since today is a special episode i wanted to do like a bit of a twist on the usual teroscope section and i recently acquired a new deck And it's called Green Witch Oracle by Sherilyn Darcy. And a big shout out to my friend Kelly, who shared this deck with me, and I got one. And I've been using it for a few days now, but I love it so far. And it's a really great uh, deck for practicing plant Latin, too, which we all know how much I love. And each Mm -hmm. card has a different plant. And the booklet that comes with it has, like, an entry for each card that includes, like, a quote, a description of what the card represents, some info about the plant itself, and a small spell or ritual suggestion, as well as magical correspondences. So it's like, it's a fun little deck. It's not super expensive. I definitely recommend checking it out. But today's message is for Sagittarius. And for you, Mm. I have drawn Beetroot or Beta Vulgaris. And the quote is, an addiction to gardening is not bad when you consider all the other choices in life by Cora Lee Bell which I get it. So this card, you know, means Sagittarius. This is, this is asking you to look at the core of what usually motivates you for direction and a lifting of any negative energies because a focus on self-love and developing a better understanding is what you need right now. Beetroot supports your heart chakra and it will show you that new projects, personal goals, and emotional healing are all in positive light with a good chance of success. Challenges could include family disagreements and getting stuck on the superficial But this card is really like an invitation to like look to your core and like focusing 
on like that self-love and like where your heart is leading you. And I honestly uh I'm loving like this particular deck for you though. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's the so the fact good. that one of the cards is beetroot though is like okay, so I'm a Sagittarius moon, y'all. And like this is definitely like like hitting me just like a little bit in the feelings. Yeah. And I do love it too, because after you get through like the oracle meaning, it's got like cultivation information for the plant. And so here we learn that like beetroot seed needs to be soaked for half a day before planting. They can be sown all year in tropical areas from winter through to autumn in temperate zones and from mid spring to midsummer in colder areas. This plant requires a very friable soil that is fertile and uh, that's fertile and in a sunny position. Leaves can be harvested lightly and baby beets from 10 weeks can be pulled. Pull up every second beet at this time to allow room for the rest of the crop to mature to full size in a few more weeks. So the magical correspondences of the beetroot are love, blood magic, passion and beauty and joy for its uses. Um, it's associated with the deities Aphrodite and Venus, uh, with the planets Saturn and Venus, and with the astrological sign Sagittarius, which I thought was really interesting because I picked who the message was for before I drew the card. So, and then this passion spell suggestion here I thought was really great. So this is to boost passion in a relationship or rekindle motivation for a project, and it's in beat ink. So on a piece of paper, write your name and that of your lover or the project using the dried twig of a red flowering plant dipped in a quarter cup of beetroot juice. Wrap the twig in the paper and throw it in a fire saying, alive with the fire, the passion within us grows higher. Oh, can and can you screenshot that and send it to me? Yeah, I can. <laughs> I I love this deck. And I, I it's like a $25 deck. Like, it's not expensive. That's not crazy. No, 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 no. no. So highly, highly suggest uh, checking it out. So yeah, I think that uh, that brings us to the end, though. The bitter end. But okay, so before everyone goes, um, I think it'd be really cool if you downloaded this episode. Yes, please then, Actually, if you didn't download this one, that's okay. Download the next one. Um, where can people hit us up, Shannon? You can reach us at wandsandfronspod at gmail.com or at wandsandfronspod on Instagram. And we, we would love to hear from you. Send us a bag of rubies. Send us a, uh, an invitation to Atlantis. Um, would be neat. Uh, always <laughs> um, accepting lewd remarks. You know what? I, I only got one lewd remark for my birthday. So if you'd like to give me a lewd remark as a late birthday gift. Um, Here for since it. it. Since it is still technically within a week of, well, I guess it's not. But at the time of recording, it's very close to still being within a week of my birthday. and It's close uh, enough that we'll count it. We're going to count it. We're going to count it. And you should. Um, but I think to all the bitches, to all the witches, I say blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. You're like, who is Green Man? Who the fuck is Green Man? Shout out to all the green ladies. <laughs>